I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is a special episode of the Wikicast, the podcast about random Wikipedia articles. Today, we are joined by a guest. Hello, I'm Barney Martin, also known as Listening In. And Barney, what article are we talking about this week? So this week, Dan, we're talking about live legend IDZ apocalypse. Oh! Wow. Do you have any idea what that could mean? Perfect. I mean, I, I was starting to fall asleep until Apocalypse, which is probably a, probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was probably my delivery. Live IDZ Apocalypse. Yep, straight to the point. IDZ Apocalypse. Yep. You gave us the teaser before we started that this was musical. Perhaps we, we should explain to people, this is the first time we've had a guest in a little while. Um, Barney has very kindly accepted her invitation to join us. Um, and as you've already said, you're known as listening in. You might recognise his voice from the YouTube channel listening in. And what for people that don't know you, Barney, what do you do on YouTube? So I make video essays on music, on film music, class- classical music, sort of analysis of pieces uh, and sort of general essays on music, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, very appropriately, this is a music-based article. It is. Yeah. So it says it's the first video album by Japanese, I love that, Japanese heavy metal band, Baby Metal. Oh, I know Baby Metal. Do you know Baby yeah. Metal? Of course you know Baby Metal. They're sure. the two, there's like two Japanese girls who, uh, they did a set at, was it Glastonbury, I think? And it's like sort of super cutesy, kawaii, but they're playing heavy metal. Right, okay. So it contains live footage of three shows entitled Legend I, D and Z. So that's where this amazing name comes from. I see. Ah. No, I, D and Z. Ah, I, D, Z. And performed in Tokyo in 2012 and 2013. So what are Baby Metal like? What's what's their music like? I mean, I've literally heard the bare minimum of them. I know that they exist. I know (laughs) that a lot of metal fans hate them because they feel like it's polluting what metal should be. You know, it should be guys with long hair and Mm. grungy bars and... You know, all, all that kind of like the, the the exact opposite of kawaii Japanese culture. Mm. Um, so it's kind of cool, I guess, that it's challenging that idea. But I couldn't tell you a single song that they've done. I mean, I don't, I I like metal, but it's not the kind of thing I normally listen to. No, me neither. In fact, I'd mm. slightly embarrassingly say that I actually, well, not embarrassingly, I don't, I don't really like heavy metal music. And probably if if anyone's listening to this, like twelve tone or polyphonic, they're sort of metal heads and they like metal music, but it just doesn't do anything for me. It's quite a common pairing, yeah. though, isn't it? People that are very um, sort of tra- classically trained often seem to like mm. metal or jazz. It's like you kind of have to pick a, a fork in the road, you know? <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, I, I'm also like this alternative thing. You know, this is... Or, uh, if it's jazz, it's experimental jazz. Mm. Yeah. Which I actually quite like, experimental jazz. I'll go for that, but not heavy metal. So, um, so you are primarily. I mean, this is this is cards on the table here for the readers. The reason that we thought you'd be such a good person to come on the podcast is that you are a a musician, specifically a choral musician, a composer, and you know that that's your jam. So mm. let's just part the article for a bit. Can you like, how did you how did you get in into it, and sort of what have you done over the past couple of years to do music? Because you didn't start in music, is that right? Well, I'm actually my day job, and I still do this day job. Is I teach chemistry, which is a really <laughs> quite random. I didn't thing. know that. Yeah. So I did I did uh, Natsuki at wow. Cambridge. Natural sciences is a particularly strange degree at Cambridge for those who don't know it. Mm. Um, and I sang in Trinity College Choir uh, under Stephen Layton, who also runs 
um, polyphony if you've come across polyphony's recordings oh, wow. um, so that's how I sort of did that mm. whole musical thing and I sang loads at school mm. so it was just a, a continuation of that and I did natural sciences at Cambridge and sort of music and composition and singing they all sort of went together um, but when I left uni I you know I had a science degree and so the mm. best thing you can do well if you can't decide what to do I didn't want to do a PhD or anything I went into went into teaching and so over the mm. past 10 years I've taught plus written music um and then I got then I got a bit fed up with writing music and so I started a YouTube channel as <laughs> as a lot of people do yeah yeah if you can't decide what to do in life create a YouTube channel yeah it, it, it does wonders it solves a lot of things and so it was you know it was quite nice because I'd I'd done all this writing and I thought, well, what can I use this for? And actually, analysis of music was a big part of it. And teaching music as well. And teaching, you know, because I did some teaching of music as, alongside teaching chemistry. So I'd, I'd sort of had a bit of experience of that anyway. So I thought, well, why not turn this into something that, you know, I can just send out onto the internet without anyone, you know, saying that I can't do it. I can just send it out. And that's how it was born. I just, um, mm. I was watching a lot of music YouTubers at the time. So I don't know if you've come across people like um, David Bruce. Um, you've probably come across Adam Neely. Um, and twelve tone and polyphonic and people like that, and so yeah. I thought, wow, this is this is a really exciting sort of yeah. um, thing that's that had already started when I began YouTube. But I thought I, I'd want to sort of add my voice to that and add a slightly different voice as well, a bit more. Um, you've watched my videos slightly more aesthetically. Um, I don't know what the word is. Um, well, different, slightly clean. I I describe your style as very clean. Clean. I like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As opposed to those, all those dirty YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about the filthy YouTubers like Sideways. Ugh. Oh, that's, uh, well, yeah, I'd say I'm the polar opposite of Sideways. Not a, no, not a bad way. I love Sideways videos, but they're, they're, they're sort of hilarious and fast. And, you know, the, the video yeah. editing is sort of chucking stuff in. Whereas I'm like, I'm going to go about 50% of the pace and I'm going to bring in this really slowly, <laughs> this image really yeah. slowly instead of bringing it in really fast. So that... That's the biggest difference, I'd say. But yeah, I love I love the YouTube videos. I'm, I haven't actually written much music over the past two years just because YouTube has sort of taken over as it really does. Yeah, because I, mean, I, was, I was looking through your website previously and, you, you know, to say you dabbled in, in composing and did a little bit here and there is underselling yourself, I think. Like, <laughs> Thank you. You, you, you know, you've, you've won a bunch of awards for your composition. For people who, don't, who haven't perhaps heard any of Barney's music, I'll include a link in the show notes um, to your website, which has got, you, you know, uh, links to, for example, what we've got here, Rings of Light, Partials, Temptations of Christ. You know, there's a whole heap of his music that you can listen to here. Do, do you have a particular favourite that you think people should should listen to? Oh, that's an interesting... Well, I think as, you know, we all love choral music, I'd probably say go to the choral music section and there's a piece called A Little Piece. It's only about sort of three or four minutes long called In the In the O Lord Have I Put My Trust. And it's a little, mm -hmm. just a little motet that I really like. And it's probably the simplest thing I've ever written, but actually it's one of my favourites. And yeah, I, so I, I've had some amazing opportunities with composing and actually one of the best ones, which sort of connects with this Wikipedia article. Well, it does. I went to Tokyo. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I entered this competition. I didn't think I was going to win. Uh, you had to write a 20-minute orchestral piece. Um, and I spent a year long writing this piece um, and put it into this competition uh, called the Takamitsu Award, based on, uh, it's named after uh, Toru Takamitsu, the Japanese composer who passed away about t five, ten years ago, something like that. Um, 
anyway, well, I, I, I sort of entered it the first time and wasn't successful, but then entered it again and uh, was, was selected for the final of this competition. So I went to Tokyo and had my orchestral piece performed by the Tokyo Philharmonic, uh, which was the, one of the most bonkers wow. and crazy and amazing experiences uh, ever. I don't know if you've been to Japan. Yeah. It, I, I just had a whale of a time. It was ridiculous. It was just so much fun. Sorry, Dan, I've been completely hogging the air. No, <laughs> all. I've, just been, I've just been kind of struck dumb with how like every, everything that's been said just sounds fascinating. I know that certainly on the Japan point, it's always something that certainly when we lived together, Simon, there was a there was a kind of we, mm. we, we, we always quite kind of passionately agreed that as far as bucket list places to go are, mm. are, con- are concerned, I, I'd love to spend some time in Japan and really get to know you know get to know the culture as far as that part of the world i've done i did a fair while in vietnam mobile infantry yeah well yeah exactly you weren't there man you weren't there um, he, he was actually a helipad in in the vietnam yeah, Dan, how, yeah. how old are you i'm uh, well it's a dangerous it's a dangerous dangerous question i'll just embarrass myself with niche references that no one will understand and, and I'll just wail and cry. In fact, I was I was made to realise how old I was. A, a good friend of mine, um, who's a, a newish lay vicar at uh, Exeter Cathedral, it was his birthday yesterday, and uh, we, um, we, we nipped out to a, a new kind of restaurant, had some drinks and things, and ended up retreating back to the, uh, the scholarly for, uh, for some more... Um, really civilized uh, uh, merrymaking, um, and uh, it, I just I made the mistake of thinking, you know what? I'll I can do some of the music playlist. That's absolutely fine. And and most of my choices were sort of I don't know, year seven, year eight disco music, <laughs> um, which I actually which I actually really like. I'm a big disco fan. Are we talking steps? Oh yeah, I mean we. I'm trying to think of the stuff we were playing. Five. We ha- I think I put the. Do, do either of you recall the ketchup song? No, God. Oh, I, it's, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a cultural institution. Um, it's just it's the. It's I really the don't most, think it is. It's really brilliant. It's really great. Anyway, I I started thinking. Okay, this is getting a bit too disco now. I'll start playing some of my own music that I think is hip and down with the kids. <laughs> And uh, it was just embarrassment after embarrassment, really. And then I then I thought I'll join in the dancing, and it was just one one thing to another. It was terrifying. <laughs> How did the dancing go? Well, I don't know if you've seen. Do you recall that scene in um, Love Actually where Hugh Grant as the PM is <laughs> yep. is dancing through his house? It was basically that. Excellent. Somebody down. I can hear them right now. Somebody is editing your face onto Hugh Grant's body on <laughs> in that scene. Like that is going to be posted on the Discord within the hour of this episode going out. That's iconic. Yeah, that's sort of my. That's sort which of my. Which is better bag, than my dancing, really. which I'm pretty sure you described fun. Dan once as unnatural. <laughs> like, yeah, it's. I, I, I imagine if you'd sort of been plugged into a high volt battery. And someone was just seeing how many, <laughs> how many, you know, what the, what current they could really get coursing through you, and and what the kind of resultant physiological effect would be. I have I have hypermobile hips. Like that's that's all I'll say. Like they, they move further than they, they should be able to. Simon, you're a scientist. You shouldn't be able to dance. It's sort of a requirement, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. There's a reason that most of my dance moves resemble standing waves. Like, <laughs> oh, that is so geeky. I like that. 
<laughs> anyway, baby metal. <laughs> baby metal. I mean, I don't know what more else there is to say about baby metal. Yeah, so so I mean, this is a video album, did you say? So this is this is concerts that have been chopped together into an album. Yeah, live live footage. I don't I don't think it's a video album, but it's just live. Oh no, maybe it is a vi- oh no, it is a video album. You you remembered rightly, and I completely forgot, even though it's in front of me. So they yeah they they took it from three shows and they just just mixed it together. How was it received critically? Reception. It charted at number seven for the week of December 2nd, 2013 on the Blu-ray chart <laughs> with oh, wow. the first yeah. week sales of 4,908 copies. Right. That's not very good. I have no context for how yeah, good that I, is. I have, I have no, no idea how to interpret that. <laughs> this is something that, like, uh, when I, I t- chatted to my publisher about book pre-orders, I remember saying to them, like, how many is is good like i I have zero for you know for videos i have a frame of reference for oh that's a good number of views and probably for music generally there's a scale you know you're like oh you sold ten thousand copies oh that's quite a lot of copies but for books i genuinely have zero clue how many is considered a success does the publisher know well they said 200 pre-orders would be a really good sign and we got like double that in the first week so but that's also like not fair because i have a very active online community so you'd expect people to you know pre-order it um but in terms of after release i genuinely have no clue what like a good figure is and i I don't even know if there is such such a thing it's just such a broad field you know Mm. i suppose metrics don't really matter that much in selling books or do they i mean yeah like i think from an author's perspective at least like you know you've been paid by the by the time the book comes out you've been paid basically mm. you know as realistically as much as you're going to be paid for the book like yes if you if the book does well you will get royalties but practically speaking i think for for most of the time the payment you get is prior to release so in that sense yeah like numbers don't really matter so much in the same way that for example like you know if you if you receive a sponsorship for a youtube video in a way the number of views you get on that video doesn't matter because you've already been paid but mm. of course if you want to have future opportunities to write a book or make a sponsored YouTube video, you need to get a certain number of views. So there is still that pressure. Do you think it? Well, do you think it takes the pressure off in a in a sense because you're, you've you know you've done the book, you're happy with the book, you get sort of paid up front, and the book's out in the world, and its reception matters well less than a YouTube video certainly. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing that there's not. The, the up-to-date statistics as well. I don't get to wake up in the morning and see how many <laughs> copies have been sold overnight. Yeah, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Yeah, a, a running counter. Does it, does Amazon not tell you something? No, it's I actually I had to create an affiliate link for my own book uh, <laughs> in order to track how many copies have been like pre-ordered. Uh, <laughs> right. Otherwise, yeah, you get nothing through. Because I was like, I mean, I, I use this for you know generating revenue for when I talk about other books, for example. You know, if, I, if somebody buys a copy, I get a certain tiny cut of it. Um, but if I wanted to track how many times people had actually pre-ordered my own book, I had to do the same thing. That seems very strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was technically how you're supposed to do it, but yeah, it, it works. With the, the fact that it's a video album, I was trying to remember, like, if I've ever actually watched a video album. And I, I realised that like, I would probably actually call that a concert film. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I don't know if you've watched any of any of those, especially for like popular music, where it, where it will be cut over like the several nights of a tour into a, a film, because there are some really good ones. I've I've never really watched any. Oh, well, I've watched some classical ones, but I don't think those really count. Mm. Yeah, because I've I, they um 
uh, Talking Heads did a uh, show called Stop Making Sense that came mm. as a free DVD in a newspaper about <laughs> 20 years ago. And I remember watching that a lot. And that was quite influential on me, actually. Like, it was a really cool concert film. And, and Queen did one for their Wembley show. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, a couple of ones like that. But those are literally the only, only times I can ever remember watching it. Like, who did you watch that was the classical version of that? Well, I'm, I was, I'm thinking, you know, classical proper film recordings of concerts as the equivalent thing which i suppose it's sort mm. of an equivalent thing because you can you know when they have these brawl out the hall concerts and they're usually for sort of more popular things you know like those classic fm uh you know greatest hits concerts yeah. well i don't really watch those but you know when you have a when you have a series of co- so the berlin film for example <laughs> could go on tour and they'll record you know a film every single night and then they'll mix it together and then release it as a dvd or something like that afterwards mm. Right. Okay. I have always wanted to go to one of those. They're normal at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, mm. like a screening of a film with a live orchestra. Oh, yeah, definitely. Have you ever been to one? No, of those? I've I've never been, but I would love to. Well, Lord of the Rings would be top of my list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I was. Uh, it reminds me mm. of the um, the John Wilson Orchestra, uh, who are usually a fairly prominent feature in in, in kind of most proms. Years ago, did a there was a big celebration of MGM. Uh, anniversary things and they did a, a kind of a sort of a live play along to tom and jerry oh yeah it's about it's about nine minutes long and it's the most amazing thing because it's just you know you 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 don't need to see the the animation it's it's the music makes it so clear and you've got to you know you'll, you'll have two people right at the back of the orchestra who will be recreating the sounds of kind of dogs mm. barking and windows like smashing and it's, yeah. it's just the most thrilling thing to watch some of that music for those early cartoons is some of the best music that's ever been written for television actually um i probably i'll probably yeah. do a video on it someday mm. but that's that sort of idea of mickey mousing where you we have you know particular beats of the music or particular events in the music lining up almost exactly with with you know with a particular action and it's it's so it's so amazing and, and it, but it's really harmonically mm. you know rich and interesting it's not just sort of banal you know boring music it's actually really sort of well orchestrated and well written it's a sort of golden age it takes a lot of effort to make it look completely oh this is just silly music whereas actually yeah, yeah it's 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 kind of blurring that boundary between diegetic and non-diegetic music, I suppose. Oh, yes, excellent. Yeah, now we're getting talking. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of Disney's um, Fantasia. Don't tell anyone, but my um, one of my upcoming videos is on Fantasia. I love it. Oh, I can yeah. just promise you that having said that on this podcast, nobody has heard that. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> okay. That is a spoiler for literally <laughs> dozens of people. <laughs> yeah, what are the viewing numbers like for this? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're quite good, aren't they? Uh, I mean, we get some people... I mean, we get we get people emailing in, so some people listen. Oh, that's cool. uh, I mean, I think it's, a, it's about, if I had to guess, within the first sort of month of release, it's probably about 2,000 people. Oh, that's pretty good. Per episode. But it's also... I have no idea if that is from the uh, just the pod bean or if that accounts for spotify views i i have no idea how many people actually listen because i don't yeah. know how the statistics work there are some <laughs> podcast providers that i don't think tap into to Podbean our our hosts kind of like analytics oh uh, okay which again is like one of those moments where simon and i realized having done this we were talking earlier about this podcast has been going for nearly four years and i think over those four years we've maybe said thank you to Podbean three times <laughs> well it's not like we Podbean probably... are listening in are gonna be like cancel the f- 
Olympics. <laughs> no, but, 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 but similarly, if they were removed from the process, we'd be in, we'd be in a bit of trouble. <laughs> yes, this is true. This is very true. <laughs> but I don't think there's anyone listening. That would require a lot of work. I mean, there are obviously people watching YouTube videos, you know, from sponsors, yeah. but I don't think Podbean probably listens in. Mm. Yeah. Which is fine, so we can say what we want. <laughs> Seeing as we are, we're basically at this point in the podcast anyway. I this is no pressure down or anything. But what's your choral piece of the week? Oh, I'm excited. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. I'm imagining that scene from The Last Crusade, by the way, where Barney's watching Dan pick out a choral piece from the shelf of all the goblets uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you we, chose. You've chosen Barney. <laughs> yeah, you can't get this wrong. Um, it's a it's a fairly it's a fairly easy one for me this week actually. I sang uh, I sang Evensong with the University of Exeter Chapel Choir yesterday, um, and uh, there was a piece that that Michael had put down. It was a it was a as a service goes, a, a, a polyphonic feast for the ears. It was a really good, fun service. We had bird second and um, some some nice Tudor responses. And then this anthem, the name of which was very, very kind of familiar to me. But having then looked at the <laughs> looked at the music, I don't think I'd ever sung it, which surprised me because of the, the amount of time that I've either been singing in chapel or the kind of three and a bit years at the cathedral. It's a fairly well-known piece, but it's um, Ascendit Deus by Peter Phillips. Ah, okay. It's uh, it's brilliant. I really like it, and I and I I was shocked to be. I we were we were rehearsing it, and I thought, no, I really I've never done this before, and nor had I think anyone who was who was singing in that really? kind of like reduced consort. Yeah, it, re- it really shocked me. I think the last major sort of ascension piece um that we did would have been the Gowers Viri Galilei, um which is absolutely incredible, um. Uh, and if, if you haven't heard that as a, as a subtle kind of number two piece of the week, check out um, the Gowers for Galilee. But yeah, Ascended Deus, Peter Phillips. It's um, it's fab. Have you performed that one, Barney? I've actually not. And I, I actually don't know it. I was I was hoping I was just sort of assuming that I'd know the choral pick of the week, but I, I don't know it. I mean, given Barney, given that you're here, I feel like you you also should have your own. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So why don't you, you know, go go and yeah, let, let's let's hear your <laughs> let's hear your piece of the week. We'll kind of re real we'll rework a jingle, and we can you can you can do your own. <laughs> Fergus, compose a new jingle. <laughs> <laughs> My piece of the week, the week, the week, the week. My piece of the week, the week, the week. My piece of the week. Uh, okay, what have I been listening to recently? Well, actually, interestingly. Simon, because you tweeted at me about my Why Choral Music Sounds So Good video. Yes. And after that, because I think you you mentioned Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles. Mm. Indeed, and after yes. that, I, re- I re-listened to the whole of it. And it's just such an amazing piece that I'm going to choose that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I think it must have been because of your video, actually. I also re-listened to the whole piece. Uh, I think I was painting or something at the time. And it's just... It's one of those pieces that demands attention, mm, mm. you know? It's it's very difficult to have it on just in the background because it is so... I, to say that it demands attention and it's like kind of sat in the corner like, look at me, you know, listen to me, <laughs> makes it sound like a bad thing. I, I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in the way of, holy shit, 
It's just so good. Yeah. You just need to you need to listen to it. Yeah, it's it's a kind of sound bath piece, isn't it? You've got to let you've just got to let the whole thing wash over you and Yeah, I like that sound bath. Yeah, I think I might steal that, Dan. Can I steal that? <laughs> yeah, of course you can. <laughs> I'm always looking for other ways to describe the same music. <laughs> <laughs> sound bath is quite nice. But yeah, it's I've uh, I listened to it for the first time. I was uh, Tenebrae were doing there. Uh, their tours around the country where they were taking um, Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles because they'd, they'd recorded it, I think, about... It must have been about 10 years ago. Hmm. And then they did a sort of re-release, re-release of the same disc, I think, with a new piece by Owen Park. Yeah, we saw the same tour then because I saw them on tour as well. Yeah, and it was in, mine was in Tewkesbury Abbey because I was doing the Cheltenham Composers course at the time and it was very close, so we went to the concert. Um, and actually, Owen Park, who wrote a sort of companion piece called Footsteps, I think it is, um, yes. He, uh, we went. Well, we were sort of overlapped at Trinity together. So he's he's my other sort of my famous composer friend, the one who's done sort of better than me. But he's brilliant. <laughs> I, I love his music. Um, and Joby Talbot's piece, I uh, I was just sort of completely taken back by it. Um, it. I think partly because of the way he used sort of different um, groupings within within the choir. So he, you know, he'd have these these sort of big sections where the sopranos and altos would be repeating these lines over and over again and they'd sort of within the the sort of acoustic of Tewkesbury Abbey they, they just sort of blended into this amazing uh landscape of sound and then underneath you'd have these sort of very deep um melodies in sort of bra um, uh, in the, the bass and the tenors and it just it's just such an amazing effect and but then they had the sort of those, those sort of dramatic bits and uh, I really was taken aback by it and we actually got to meet uh, Joey Talbot he because I was doing this Cheltenham Composers course, he came along and we spoke to him the day after and were able to ask him questions about the piece. Um, uh, yeah, so that was a great experience. I, I would um, sort of almost spiritual, um, if I could say mm. that. Yeah, it would definitely, mm. I'd love to repeat that. He gets cooler and cooler as well. I mean, I, I was chatting to a friend of mine who um, kind of coordinates events and the summer school at Dartington Hall. Oh, yeah. Um, just just um, southwest of us. And... Uh, I hadn't realised that Joby Talbot uh, was arranger and keyboard player in the Divine Comedy, um, and I don't know if you, either of you know uh. the Divine Comedy. It's Neil Hannon's um, band, and it's it's just kind of I wouldn't. I, it's unfair to describe it as silly music, but it's clever <laughs> lyrics, and and it's just it's brilliant. It's really really great. There's a there's a song called assume the perpendicular um, which is about his love of visiting like national trust properties and just being slightly quirky and but you think of you think of path of miracles and then you also think of the work he would have been doing in the in the divine comedy and it's he's just such a cool guy he is i also saw i i was well, sorry i read a description of when he was coming up with the path of miracles he said it was a magical trip to uh northern spain punctuated by a decidedly non-magical car crash oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god that was like, a great way of describing it that is yeah that doesn't come across in the music no for people who don't know what we're talking about do yourself a favor and listen to the path of miracles and listen to the i'm going to say something that might be a bit unkind here but i think you uh, you should only listen to the Tenebrae recording because I've never heard a single other choir do it justice. Hmm. Are there any other um, official recordings of it? Yeah, there are a couple of one, and the names that are escaping me. I have. Uh, there's some American collegiate ones that have done it for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But f- frankly, I mean, this this isn't it. This is probably the right section to have this discussion. But frankly, I just think Tenebrae are, are the best choir on the planet. Oh, that's and... interesting. Hmm. See, we've we've had this debate, haven't we, Simon? I think we, we spoke have. about it last episode, and yeah. Uh, be, I'd be interested actually to hear what 
Barney, what you think, because I, I don't refute Tenebrae's brilliance at all. They're, you know, they're, they're a phenomenal ensemble, but I think they, they do, they do what they do quite deliberately and very well. And I think for some pieces, I'm not sure whether the Tenebrae approach is exactly what I'd want to listen to. For me, when I'm listening, I don't know, I would like to think that perhaps, I don't know, um, liturgical context or historical performance um, kind of characteristics and things that I think there are other ensembles like, I don't know, say the 16, for example, or or, Monteverdi Choir. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. they all, and, and to be honest, that's that's a wonderful thing. If you know the the whole point of there being so many choirs, obviously, is it comes from a place of passion, but also you can do what you want with the music. And I think mm. as long as we've got a selection and a, you know a, a catalog of different approaches and and things to it, then that can only be a good thing. I, I agree. I think that they do what they do incredibly well, which is that very pure very deliberate sound mm. which works for a lot of the music they do and they're very particular in their choice of music and they, cho- they choose it very well their discs are so well crafted because they know exactly how to produce the sound that they want saying that they did a Brahms mm. and Bruckner one a couple of years ago which is sort of not quite that sort of clean style but then you know mm. you've got you got the Monteverdi choir who sing you know Bach uh, amazingly well but also do sort of Stravinsky the Rake's Progress equally well mm. and that sort of more full-bodied yeah. uh, rich rich sounds with a lot more vibrato which I really love actually yeah um and I, it depends on how I'm feeling if I want if I want to be in a sound bath lovely um <laughs> then, nice, then I'll go to Tenebrae but if I want a bit more sort of um edge to the sound then i'll go to the monteverdi choir or 16 or something like mm. that um yeah but actually it, it's usually it's usually album based so i so i tend not to think okay i'm going to listen to some choral music so i'm going to go to a particular group i usually think oh i love for example mother and child uh by tenebrae the taverna. Uh, that album uh, that, well the taverna and that particular i think the disc is called mother and child um mm. yeah another one yeah. so I'll, I'll go to that particular album but if i want to as i say listen to the rake's progress when well, there's only really one choice which is monteverdi choir and and john Elliott gardner but it's sort of album based and i'll know where to go for a particular piece of music. Mm. Um, but I don't know about set calling them the best choir in the world. I don't know about that. I mean, that. It's, it's inherently a subjective thing, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's, you know, like saying, I am I do the best music, whereas like, <laughs> I might be in the mood for Choral or Dragon Force. Like, you know, it could be... <laughs> the two the two options. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is all music from now. Um, whereas, yeah, I do agree. I totally agree. You know, for, for, for something like... Um, for me, I, I, I will die on the hill that for... Uh, Handel's Messiah and the St. John Passion, my favourite recordings of the 16. Ah. Because they have that different... It's I, I don't want to call it a fuzzier sound, but it's a bit... I don't know, it sounds like a large ensemble. Whereas the thing that certainly struck me when I heard Tenebrae live was it was a choir where it sounded like an individual and yet each person almost sounded like a choir. Mm. Like they had the, the volume and carried a part, each individual carried the part as if they were a section on their own. And yet when you put all those together, it almost sounded like one person's voice. It was kind of paradoxical. Mm. Whereas with the 16, it feels like you're listening to a big choir, which of course you are. Yeah, and they have that nice balance of being big, but not sort of choral society big so you don't get that um haze in the sound with the when you yeah. get with sort of 50 60 70 singers suddenly you get that really strange haze which i is like a, a strange acoustic phenomenon which i have no idea where it comes from but you, you always have that and sometimes you want that i don't well we had a funny oh i never want that <laughs> we had a funny story from from a couple of years ago where we uh, did a performance of dyson and d oh, great piece. Uh, at exeter cathedral and it was orchestrated so 
you know, we had a full orchestra and there was the chapel choir and the cathedral choir there together. Uh, it turned out we didn't have permission to orchestrate it and lawyers got in touch, oh, but it, it turned out they liked the orchestration so much that they decided not to put, take it any further. Um, <laughs> but that's good. It's the most, yeah, it was, it's, it's, cla- it's so classic from the chap, the chap who did this most, it's the, it's just a fantastic orchestration and to go from, hello, this is the owners of the, uh, of the Dyson estate, um, we can see that you've just put a video up orchestrating a piece that is not in the public domain. As you can imagine, we are going to be, we, we are seriously considering legal action. Next paragraph. However, we really love what you've done and we'd like to publish. It's sort of, uh, yeah, win-win, isn't it? That's great. Yeah. But but that had that haze. That, that What I was going out there was that yeah. that had that kind of like, you're listening to a huge number of people singing something. And, and that, that kind of music, I think, benefits from that like a lot of the anglican standards are meant to be sung i think by huge groups and Mm. they they take on a certain power by by having that and not not specifically to anglican but that kind of music yeah that that kind of victoriana stonking kind Mm. of sunday roast service balfour gardener (laughs) yeah exactly yes yeah Yeah, there's that classic taylor's antiterminum this is getting so geeky Getting? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, what do you this mean is, getting? This is continued to be. <laughs> Our geekiness is approaching the middle. It's, <laughs> but for some reason, it feels. Yeah, I feel really comfortable. Yeah, it's fine. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'd love to do Dyson in D with an orchestra. I've never done anything like that. But I'm, you know, I can imagine it being quite amazing. If you want to laugh, you, if you just stick Dyson in D into YouTube, that you'll see the University Chapel Choir video of it, and it is just. I mean, it's just such a ridiculous amount of noise. It's just really the tenor. I think Tim. I think Timothy Noon described the rehearsal process as kind of like, well, yeah, we've got the um, we've got the kind of tenor, uh, the tenor sound that every choral society would dream of having because it's not just loud, but it's all kind of, for the most part, with the exception of maybe Gordon Pike, a young tenor sound. So that's, mm. it's very bright and. And it was just, I mean, I'm surprised that we didn't do damage to the to building and historic fabric with how loud was it, it was. Was it in Exeter Cathedral? Yeah, yeah, it was. So we performed it in the nave in front of the, um, in, in front of the kind of organ screen. And uh, it was, we're all on big kind of tiered um, staging. And then there's an orchestra in front of that. The organ joins in with Mr. Oh Parsons God. on the organ. And it was, ju- I mean, it's just immense. And sadly, I think, Simon, you must have the footage. Um, but there was all that we also did. Um, Elgar, El- yeah, we did the Elgar. Um, uh, give unto the, the Lord. Lord. Oh yeah, give unto the Lord because there's great yeah. to the Lord and give unto the Lord, isn't there? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was as a service goes. It was just immense. And I, I, that was the one that I wasn't singing in because I was busy with a heart rate of about 130 beats per minute, uh, trying to man, I think three or possibly four cameras simultaneously. Oh God! Which, yeah. Which is, I, I've done this now, I, I seem to transition from predominantly singing to predominantly doing the videography. Mm. And they've got, the video's got more and more complicated. And <laughs> honestly, it's so, and especially when you know the music and it's like, there's a cue coming up in like 10 seconds that I cannot afford to miss. And yeah. I am in the wrong position. Uh, the camera is over <laughs> there. It's out of focus. 
Uh, oh god, it shortens your life. If he thinks performing is stressful, it, try filming. It's so much worse. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had experience of that because being when I was trying to make it as a composer, I put on all these performances, but I was the one who did all the videography for it, and I was the one who did all the recording. And I think there is genuinely nothing more stressful than trying to capture a performance and there's only one shot, and you've paid, you know, you've you've stressed and stressed to get this together, and it's been really expensive. Mm. And if you muck up the recording, you can't just bring them all back again. You know that's mm. it. You're you're done. So I I hated that. I, I I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Well, because it's it's like you know if you sing in a choir, yes, if you if you mess up, you mess up a take, and so you everybody has to do it again. But like you, can, it is possible to make mistakes in a way that just blends out in the sound, and mm. nobody would know. You know, whereas if you make a mistake as an audio engineer or a videographer, if you miss the shot, then. Yeah, you, there's there's no getting around it. You can, you can't just fob off a mistake. No, you can't. No. So, had you started your um your vlog channel by that point? Yeah, well, I I, I started making vlogs when I was in Oxford um, mm. prior to starting the PhD, and I I started doing the regular PhD vlog series. I think in the second year of my PhD. Of course, yeah. Um, and at that point, I became known as Oh Simon's the video man. Like, you know, <laughs> he'll. He'll do a video. He'll do it. Second year of the PhD was when we 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 moved in together. Yes, wasn't it? Because you were you were elsewhere in your first year. Uh, oh no, it was my third year then. It was the third year of my PhD because we because I lived out by the hospital. In yes, the, that's so right. I was yeah. I, I lived between a hospital and a graveyard, which felt oh, very right. appropriate. Uh, <laughs> um, Memento but, Mori. <laughs> but yeah, third year we were together, and then the first big the one that was a big success was I think over the summer of going into third year because the yeah the, the first phd week one was when we played tennis dan uh, yeah you actually featured in yeah, that i think i've heavily. seen that i've seen that blog that was when the, that was when there was a kind of i don't know something wholesome about those videos we went from playing tennis and embracing the kind of you know getting up early on a saturday morning and doing a bit of exercise and then it became boozy bowling a beer mile <laughs> Um, <laughs> just, kind of, just general kind of debauchery. It was, it was descent. Yeah, yeah which, which reflected PhD studies. Really, you start out really <laughs> fresh faced, and then by the end of it, you know, you look like Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse. By the end of it, you'd grown that awful beard. <laughs> so it was, it was yeah. full circle, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, this was this was meant to be Dan's choral piece of the week, which was uh, what was it again? Dan? Uh, Ascend it days by Peter Phillips, and then uh, Barney was recommending uh, Bath of Miracles. Miracles. Yeah. I remember that one. Amazing. Right. Longest podcast ever. <laughs> there is there is some there's some really awful uh kind of hack reality TV uh, that I've I've discovered on Amazon Prime and it's called Below Deck. There has since been a spin-off show called Below Deck Mediterranean and the premise of this show is that a a, a camera crew produced this reality uh series where they follow the lives of people who work on luxury like 78 foot super yachts and the and you kind of go along with them in terms of like the charters and the kind of the relationships between the kind of crewmates kind of go along and and it's just i don't know why i love it so much but it has completely taken over my life there's something to be said for trash tv dan there is. I mean, it shocked me to the core. I don't normally. I don't really watch terrestrial television, and 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 even and even then, if I am watching something, it might be because oh, there's a new good film on iPlayer. It's either that or something like I don't know YouTube or or things like that. I don't typically watch much, but this has completely taken over my life. 
Um, I'm following most of the cast, including the captain on Instagram now. Oh my god! Oh my god! You went in. I am in. I am in so deep. It's ridiculous, um, and I love it. I, I'm just looking at the Google images, and I mean, obviously, you shouldn't really judge these things before you actually see an episode. But it does look a little bit awful. <laughs> it is. All, I mean, it's it's totally ridiculous. The thing is, I was persuaded by by my younger brother. Um, to to give it a try and there's the, the the below deck normal one is just based around america and then the mediterranean one is just a bit nicer because the boats are nicer and there's just more silly money involved mm. because it's the med i'm looking at pictures now as well this looks like but it, it looks like every other kind of um reality tv but i by that i mean like storage wars or, <laughs> yeah exactly you know. that's exactly what it's like or like ice road truckers or something ridiculous yeah. you know like and i don't know what it is but it, I've I've been completely bitten by by this bug and I love it. I absolutely I mean, this was, love it. This was me in when was it? Was it the summer of 2018? I think it must have been when the world. It was that summer when there was the World Cup, and the UK had really good weather and everyone seemingly was watching Love Island. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the specific one that year. I wasn't watching Love Island. Uh, I I don't normally, but that year I think I think the thing is I got into it through the memes. <laughs> I saw there was a rich seam of meme, and I was like, I'm diving in. I need to I need to understand. It's, it's research, and I just got entrained in it. Yeah, it's, it's research. meme research. We, we if we go, if we're talking about terrible te- television, we are all aware of what's happening this Saturday evening, aren't we? No, what's happening this Saturday evening? Uh, oh, Eurovision. Oh. Eurovision. Oh god, yeah. I do actually quite like Eurovision. Yeah, exactly. We've got a party planned. I have a real, I have a real soft spot for Eurovision. Just you know, drinking lots and watching these terrible things, and then sometimes, and occasionally, get you know a good one, and you're like, well, actually, that was that was pretty good. That had a really good key change in it. That was quite interesting, and it was really well sung. Then it's like, yeah, yeah actually, this is pretty good. I'd never thought you of all people would sing the praises of Eurovision party. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of rubbish in there, but and you know, mostly, I you know, like highbrow stuff, but. There's some there's some pretty good arrangements in there, and they because they're all sort of throwbacks to you know the 80s and 90s. There's absolutely nothing contemporary about it, so it sort of feels like a retro show, even though it's entirely contemporary. Mm. And it's there to be made fun of. I mean, oh, I yeah. love Graham, oh, yeah. Graham Norton just ripping the ever the ever loving <laughs> kind of life it. out of every other you know, and then the, you know the typical <laughs> comments of we, we've got a group of friends there. They're all they're coming over um, to. Uh, to mine on Saturday and we've kind of gone through mm. a list and everyone has been given a a country and they have to wear something of that dress and bring food to their uh, kind oh, of wow. allocated country. So it should be quite fun. But I mean, it's just... It's it's just a really ridiculous, silly laugh. And as I alluded to earlier, I quite like disco and just a bit of glitz and just silly, tacky, mm. sequined rubbish. And that, I mean, that's exactly mm. what it is. Oh, it definitely has its place. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to do a video about it. I think Tantacore's already done a video about it. Bunny, I think, Bunny, you absolutely now have to do a, 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 a... Even if it's just three minutes long, try and try and make Eurovision look like a slick produced show. Yeah, get, get the graphic up where you have the staves come up and you're like, here's the melody line from Sweden's entry. Yeah. Like, you know, and like, you know, the chord progression here is really interesting. And then like... To be honest, if I did that, it'd probably go viral, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'd probably, it'd probably do really well. Yeah, it would, it absolutely would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's all the time you're thinking, you know, the balance between 
uh, you, you know how serious the topics you are that you cho- the choose you know the topic that you choose are versus how you know popular they're going to be mm. and that one would be very much on the scale of popularity but I could probably find something interesting to say yeah I mean you could repurpose the sound bath analogy and just it could be Eurovision sort of like a sound foam party that, you, yeah it's just it's liquid, a sticky hot it's a, a sticky horrible <laughs> yeah it's a sticky horrible mess and then you'll probably come away with a whole with an awful rash tell me what. Nobody seems to believe me when I say this. I went to a phone party once in my undergrad, and I, I remember the only thing that stuck with me was I came away with my shoes cleaner than they've ever been. And I don't know that, what was yeah. in the foam, but it was like I'd been through a car wash. Were they using fairy liquid in the machines or something? I think I think they might have been. Like My shoes were glistening <laughs> clean. Phone party sponsored by Ariel. <laughs> Whiter shirts <laughs> are just around the corner. Is it a is it a particularly British thing? The phone party. I I, I went to one when I was like sixteen. Is it? I don't is know. it? Do they have them anywhere else? Absolutely no idea. I, I wonder. It's the kind of thing that you imagine would happen in like uh, Ibiza or Corfu or something, right? Mm. But that's also oh, yeah. very British inspired, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Write in. Let us know, dear reader, wherever you are in the world, if you if you have uh, phone parties. And it turns out that it's we, we are even weirder than we thought we were. Apparently, they can be dated back to 1932. <laughs> what? <laughs> Guys in plus fours and three-piece suits. Yeah, phone parties can be dated back to A Rhapsody in Black and Blue, a 1932 what? short film directed by Aubrey Scotto, wherein Louis Armstrong dances, sings, and plays his trumpet in a large area of soap suds. Sorry, <laughs> did you go. just say Louis Armstrong? Yeah, I did. All right, look. <laughs> Settled down. It's fine. We weren't going to get away with that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's amazing. It has such a rich history, which I've never knew about. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, you, you, every day's a school day. This podcast is an educational. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, well, I've learned about below deck Mediterranean. That's. that's well, what's sure. your guilty TV pleasure? Because, like, I think, you, as you said before, like, the kind of content that you make on YouTube is sort of what we term highbrow you know it's analyzing mm. classical film scores and in some cases you know yes you're doing those like uh is this chasing popularity is this chasing quality and and they're not mutually exclusive because i would argue that your lord of the rings essays are both because mm. to, you know mm. in my uninformed opinion the lord of the rings has one of the finest scores of any film oh, definitely and yeah. yet it's also phenomenally popular um but yeah what do you watch that's that's lowbrow. I guess. Sorry, no. You were going to talk about Lord of the Rings. I'm not passing up that opportunity. Well, I was going to talk. About, I was going to talk about Lord of the Rings because actually that is a, that is on the perfect of the quality popularity scale uh, paradigm. That is perfect because everyone loves it, and it's also, in my opinion, I think the best set of scores that have ever been written for film. I'd agree. Um, yeah. I think John Williams' scores for Star Wars are sort of equivalent, but I I think Lord of the Rings tops it definitely. Mm. And it, interesting. And Howard Shaw is one of those people that I don't think. I don't really feel has actually been able to reproduce it in other contexts. I mean, I've listened to most of his scores, but none mm. of them quite reached Lord of the Rings. But trash TV wise, what do I? What do I? I well, I like think I don't know if it's trash, but I like things like um, Parks and Recreation, and I like sometimes I just like watching. It's not really trash, but you might be considered sort of lowbrow, like um, Pixar films, because I I just think well they're not really, they're not lowbrow at all. Neither are they trash. Actually, so that's a terrible example because I've also done videos on them. So mm. I said, no, I'd have to think about that. What sort of trash stuff? When somebody loved me was Dan's go one of Dan's go to solo pieces when we did oh, uh, really? concerts together. It was one of the ones that Dan used to do. This is the thing since coming to since coming to uni and kind of being obsessed with the English choral tradition. Having lived overseas before, I was never exposed to it. So when I was auditioning for certainly the chapel choir, I think I sang 
uh, Panis Angelicus because it's in Latin. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's probably a good, that's a good start. <laughs> oh, they'll like and then, that. Uh, <laughs> and then, a little bit of frunk, yeah. Yeah, and then it was, and then Michael looked at me and said, all right, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, are you familiar with Toy Story 2? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I just sang, I just sang that. And, and then I, I thought it was going well because I got about halfway through and then Michael just started accompanying me on the piano, just kind of tootling along. And we just basically, what was an audition turned into let's have a sing together. Jam session. That was yeah. It was just. I mean, it was ridiculous, really. But I do love that piece. I mean, I for my audition, I didn't even audition for Chapel Choir, but for harmonics, I just sang "Bless Your Beautiful Hide" from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I've never heard of either that film. No, or nobody that piece. there had either. It was I'd heard it on TV <laughs> before, and I thought, fine, that I know how to sing that song. <laughs> <laughs> and how did it go? Was it good? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, what they what they said to me afterwards, like quite a while afterwards, was you know, in any any audition, you want to try and give a piece of positive feedback as well as saying, you know, perhaps you could work on this. And I remember thinking back, and their positive feedback for me was, oh, you really captured it when there was a note that wasn't on the beat. You really sold that. <laughs> like that that was the bit of positive feedback they gave wait was that was that intentional was it meant to be on the beat and he sang it off the beat oh no no it was meant to be off beat <laughs> but like oh. I like the fact that that was all they could come up with <laughs> but you know That's four great. years later I was I was then leaving the chapel choir so it, was all, it all went okay in the end <laughs> Well, actually, this is reminding me of when, when I auditioned for Trinity College Choir, we had to, it was back in the days when you did an audition uh, sort of before or during, actually, I think yeah, it was before your academic interviews. Mm. So we went along as a whole group and you did the sort of choral interviews um, and all the auditions. And as part of it, we all had to stand up in front of the pre-existing Trinity College Choir and give a sort of concert. So all of these people who were auditioning for for the choir had to sing in front of the existing choir members. And it was it was just outrageously nerve-wracking, and I think I sang a bit of a bit of Handel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Though I didn't sing any, I didn't sing any Toy Story. I oh, should well. have just done. Wait, you love me. I think that would have probably gone down better. To be Whatever honest. happened, it seems to have worked out all right for you, Barney. So I wouldn't worry. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. Good, good lord, that sounds intimidating, though. No way would I want to do that. It was, it was horrible. It was really, I mean, looking back at it, obviously when it, when I got into the choir and then I had the opportunity to, you know, look at these poor, poor people singing in front of us next year, I thought it was great because <laughs> I didn't have to do it. <laughs> so, but as a singer, you know, going to, to, to audition for the choir and have to sing in front of them was horrible. Yeah, horrible. balls to that. Top lad! Hello, dear reader. And this is now the time in the podcast where I need to thank you. Some of you. Uh, we didn't want to do this in front of Barney because otherwise he'd just be sort of sat in the corner and smiling politely whilst we talk about patreon.com forward slash the wikicast, the part of the show that actually funds the show. You actually make all of this possible. So the people who donate at patreon.com forward slash the wikicast are the people that pay for our server costs. They're going to be paying for our future outings where hopefully, fingers crossed, Dan and I will be going to places like the Festival of Water that was mentioned last episode and to Harry Potter World and we've got videos to film and all that kind of stuff as well as paying for our editor and all the costs involved in doing this show. Uh, uh, and, you know, the, the gold-plated uh, toilet paper that our guests require. Basically, what I'm trying to say is you guys make this possible. 
possible and uh, people can support at two different uh, levels they can support a dollar a month or five dollars a month if you support at five dollars a month then you can choose whether you're a top cat or a top dog i am of course team cat dan is team dog therefore he is wrong but i will humor him by reading out the people who support us at the top dog level thank you very much guys for your support i'd like to say a special thank you to hannah arnold sophia ben caples Josh Schieger, Henry VII, King of England and France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Carey Augustin, Andrian Chan, Naf LaRocque, Hasse Hansen, Aaron Jorgensen, Remnar, Lexi at Front Desk. I never get to say these names. This is fun. Eve Sharples, Alistair Fortune, Peter Reed, Maggie, Colin J. Brown, Codso, Ben McMurtry, Jay Wright, and Eric Bolliger. And now that the rabble are out of the way, I can actually say thank you to the people who really matter to me. The people who keep Jasmine fed and in diapers. Don't judge me for how I, I raised my child. I'd like to say thank you to the people supporting at the top cat level. I'd like to say thank you to Oliver, Violet Hatch, Abu El Ella, the physics boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy Christie, Nafi Iftikar, Christopher Betterton, Dame Valerie III, Layla Medina, Oliver Craigie, Will Jenis Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Omar Miranda, Cole Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Chucko Cat, Ben Dent, Isabel Ostrowski, Matt McGuire, and Dan Hanvey. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon. You make the show possible. Now, back to the scintillating discussion with the other two. Bye-bye. Fergus, you can cut now. Top lad. And we find ourselves in Correspondence Corner, everyone. Uh, we realise we've been chatting for the best part of an hour, and actually we're like very behind schedule. So we'll, we'll do a couple of emails. Uh, and I picked out one here, uh, which is from Violet, which I naturally picked out because it has the subject line, Wikicast Team Cat. Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, they didn't mention you, Barney, but, you know, they didn't know you were here. It's, it's fine. It's fair don't, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not offended. Uh, long-time reader of the podcast here, and Top Cat, uh, just wanted to say hello and thank you for the uploads. I love listening to the podcast while running. I don't know why, but it seems the perfect thing to listen to and distracts me from the discomfort. I like, I love it when people say they listen to us when running because I like to imagine that they're trying to run away from us, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, they just, if I run fast <laughs> enough, I'll leave the two strange Englishmen behind. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and, and Barney, th this prompts the question: Are you Team Cat or are you Team Dog? Is this a uh, so? It, this is a, a repeating question. Obviously, I don't know how to answer uh, how to answer this. I think I'm probably He's a filthy agnostic. Dan. I think I think I'm probably Team Dog because I grew up with dogs, but my husband likes cats, and we're never going to get a dog, so I might as well just say Team Cat. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go for Team Cat. Wow, I mean, it started off so it started off so well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want a cat, and he wanted a cat, yeah. <laughs> so we compromised and got a cat. <laughs> there we go, team cat by force. We're taking over. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, and uh, Violet continues. Uh, Although I am officially a top cat, I'm in fact. <laughs> hang on, sorry, I'm only just doing what they said here. Although I'm officially a top cat, I'm in fact an English MA <laughs> and soon to be PhD student. <laughs> I'm not actually a cat uh, and could listen to Dan ramble on about poetry all day. Please do a shout out for Betty. She is a big fan. Uh, I am going to I'll put a picture here of Violet and Betty in our call because she is a perfect cat. Oh, oh wow. It's a for those of you uh, listening along at home. It's a white long haired cat. It's got one of those faces that looks like they've been hit in the face with a shovel. Um. They've been uh, they've been they've been chasing parked cars. <laughs> I've not heard that phrase before. That's great. 
But, you know, Betty, if you're listening, love it. Absolutely big fan. You are perfect. You're a, a, a cherub, an angel, and you look so comfy. Violet, I want you to boot her snoot for me, please. Thank you. Uh, wishing you uh, all the best, Violet and Betty, aged 20 and 4 over 2. So... 4 over 2? 22. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think that might be four twelve. So I think they might be they might have accidentally a number there. Um, actually, yeah, they say PS. Sorry about the compound fraction. Tried my best, but I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> Given not? that you didn't simplify four over two down to two, yeah, I, yeah. But, <laughs> but thank you for the effort. We have an email here from a uh, a famous uh, a famous reader of the podcast, Simon, the Cacti Crook. The cacti crook. Sorry, uh, but oh, Barney. Um, right. <laughs> What's the, who's who's cacti crook? So previously, we got people to email in with their confessions and stuff they had done, and they wanted to be forgiven for anonymously. Um, mm. And the cacti crook. I, Dan, can you remember what they did? It was something to do with cacti. I think yeah, and presumably theft thereof. Um. Oh, did they? Yeah, did they steal a cacti? Uh, sorry, did they steal a cactus from a shop or something? Something like that. Something like that. I mean, heinous criminal. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty spiky character. Anyway. Um, oh. And, oh, go away. That's just that's just terrible. <laughs> the cacti crook says, "Hello, fellows. Um, TLDR: I'm drowning in f- house plants, and I don't think my new roommates are going to appreciate it. Help." Okay, since my last email, <laughs> things, have been, things have gotten a bit out of hand. I moved out to complete my master's degree, and in my never-ending journey to try to take care of things, I've amassed about 30 houseplants. Oh my god. Wow. All were properly paid for, and only one <laughs> ivy has died, so don't worry. They, they were all properly paid for. Please, <laughs> my lord, you haven't stolen these. Uh, I think my days of thievery are mostly behind me. Uh, life's taken an interesting turn, and now I'm moving back home with my truckload of plants, and I'm not quite sure how to handle the situation. I know it's not quite the right podcast, but some dubious advice would be greatly appreciated. Started from the bottom, now we're drowning in f***ing houseplants. The cacti crook. Well, I mean... I love also that he's he's just sort of a amateur kleptomaniac. He doesn't... He's sort of given up. He's He's an ex... <laughs> They don't believe. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I'm pleased that they have said. Um, I think my days of thievery. I think my days of thievery are mostly behind me. Mostly. <laughs> Not ruling out a relapse. Yeah. You know. Um, God, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of starting your own little Eden project there, Cacti Crook. So I wish you all the best with it. I think the logical continuation here is to seal yourself in like a biome with the plants. You now yeah. probably have enough. I'm not a biologist. I don't know to you know to be completely self-sufficient. Uh, and mm. you know, there's only one way to find out, which is to conduct the experiment. And seeing as you're a, a thief and a bandit, uh, I think you know you're acceptable losses if anything does go wrong and you yeah. asphyxiate. Oh God, it's <laughs> <is> terrible. <laughs> That is really terrible advice. I was going to say just call into Gardener's Question Time, but yeah. maybe that's better advice, Simon. We'll um, we'll put you in contact with um, patron of this podcast, Alan Titchmarsh, and I'm sure he'll be able to give you lots of lots of great advice on not no, no, only. No, I would love it. John Rutter was the patron saint of this podcast. If you remember, oh, yeah, rightly, the, Dan. the memorial home for injured swans. <laughs> Despite the fact. John, what John Rutter's fine. He's not. He's just, 
why he has a memorial home, we have no idea. <laughs> so what is this? This this is a very deep cut, Barnaby. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That was we we joked. I, I think Dan, this was one of your creations of like if we had like a wiki cast. That was it. We were gonna, we were proposing doing a Wikicast fun run, and it was going to be a five-kilometer fun run, and it was like going to be an aid of a charity. Mm. And Dan decided that John Rutter A had died, <laughs> and B uh, had a in a, a home for injured swans that we were going to raise money. The memorial for. home for injured swans. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you didn't actually think he died, did you? No, I mean, no. <laughs> I just like the idea of having, you know, when people do those sort of fun runs or go to a um, go to a, a, a big kind of like rock concert and buy the T-shirt at the end. I wanted a T-shirt that had mm. a really slick looking logo, the logo of the, mm. the trust for the John Rutter Memorial Home for Injured Swans. And then on the back, a kind of <laughs> a map of of the kind of running route that you do. And it was just something that my head had, it, it's, it's along the lines of, that idea I had about the, having the periodic table be printed as a poster, but rather than the elements, we had each episode of of, of the podcast so far, and they, there was a little kind of abbreviation, and we could try and group them. And well, that's a really I like that idea. My brain is a bit. I think it's all this law. I've got exams coming up soon, and I'm I'm definitely starting to go slightly bonkers. Oh, but... I thought you meant L O R E, like deep wiki kind yeah. of law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that too. Why not? When you said you were doing a law degree, I assumed that was what you meant. You were just doing yeah. World of Warcraft law as yeah, a degree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. There we go. Well, actually, on that note, uh, perhaps let's say this is the final email of the day. Uh, we have an email here from uh, Cassandra Toledo, better known as Calamity Cass on our Discord. Yeah, uh, dear Mrs. Not not Messrs, but Mrs. Clark and Moore. <laughs> uh, I hope you're both doing well. I love to hear your rambling slash podcast. Uh, about weird sports. So this was a couple of episodes, Barney. We asked people if they played any strange sports. Oh, yeah. um, I've played back in the day both... Uh, ooh. Now, I know Cass grew up in South America, so I'm not sure if that's supposed to be Huger or Jugger. Um, jugger, why not? A sport <laughs> where the ball is ahead and literally just ahead. I, it doesn't specify what species. And it's played with strategic <laughs> uses of different kinds of foam weaponry. Wait, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like Again, it's like that's one of those one of those glorious sentences that e- escalates so quickly. <laughs> Different kinds of foam weaponry. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hockey stick <laughs> sentence. What like like no- like noodles that you have in in swimming pools? Those sort of foam. Yeah. Or actual like war hammers, I guess. If you have something with a big head to it, like you know, you can. It's like polo, maybe. There's probably horses involved. Everybody who writes into the Wikicast these days apparently does things on horseback. Yeah. Um, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. That, have you ever heard of horseball? No. Is it like polo? It's a cross between polo and basketball and rugby. Like it's played on a horseback. That, I, I just can't even begin to imagine that. Yeah. The the best thing is, Vani, that we were because because it is just so. This sport cannot exist when you hear the description of it. The 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 um the reader of the podcast <laughs> actually provided video footage of themselves playing the game. It was amazing. Yeah. And we've been I'd invited the by them to take part in it, which I'm very excited about. Oh, you should definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, and further, um, Cass also played Quidditch, Muggle Excellent. Quidditch. Excellent. Which, have you played this, Dan? I went to one um, taster session at, at uni. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. I I sort of watched because um, I hadn't I had left my broom at home. Um, no, they, they just... <laughs> oh, I, I assumed you played as the snitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, you you can do that, and I think the snitch has the most fun. 
Um, but I, I've never actually, I haven't played it proper. No. Have you, have you ever? Well, have you seen this being played, uh, Barney? I, I've never, I've never seen it. But I'm sort of imagining just people running around. And so the 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 quaff, are they called quaffles? The the main ball, yeah. That's a quaffle. Yeah, and so someone, someone run. Do you hit? Do you actually hit the quaffle, or does someone run around with the quaffle? And how does that? How does it all work? So you sort of run around with a a, a kind of diminutive broomstick in between your legs, and you throw <laughs> a ball between your teammates, and you've got to. Put the put the quaffle through one of the three hoops at either end of the court. But while that's also going on, to to finish the game, uh, you have to catch the snitch. Now the snitch is played by a person uh. who is usually wearing yellow and has a little thing kind of hanging off the kind of back their their back, and and it, you know it's like a it's like <laughs> a beanbag, I suppose. Yeah, um, and you grab that to win. I mean, it, look, it, it's it's an odd game. Let's <laughs> not, not beat around the bush. <laughs> I saw this being played in Oxford. I remember they they practiced at the university parks, and it was just like I remember going back and reading up on the rules. And I don't know why I didn't do anything about it because it sounds so fun. And it's all the you know you have bludgers in there as well that are volleyballs. Yeah, it's a full contact sport. It's it can, it can get quite nasty. My favorite part of the rules was that if you're the snitch, there's nothing saying you have to stay on foot. So there was like an example they gave of you agree on like a bounds to the pitch, but like within those bounds, the snitch can do whatever they want. So there was like one match where the snitch just got on a bike. <laughs> like The two seekers are just running after them while the snitch is like taunting them, just going a little bit faster. I've got to watch this on YouTube. Yeah. I, I think it sounds amazing. It's a brilliant thing. And uh, so, so Cass has played this. Does, does it specify what position she's? I mean, she said it involves running around with a broom between your legs, but that doesn't narrow it down. Um, and regarding no. listening on YouTube, Spotify is kind of shy at keeping track of the episodes you've listened to and keeps jumping episodes if you want to hear more than one in a go. Uh, also, I have more podcasts I follow on YouTube than other platforms. Okay, so that was us asking, you know, where people listen and it is actually mm. worth me putting them on YouTube. Mm. But and I'm, I don't, I can't remember if you know this or not, Dan. But Cassandra concludes. Finally, as someone that worked for nine plus years at it, glad to hear that Dan is still addicted, sorry, enjoying yeah. World of Warcraft. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's Cause, just... Well, because Cass oh. was a, a concept artist. So, no, it wasn't concept artist. It was uh, on the socials team for Blizzard and worked on World of Warcraft. Yeah. she. I, I remember chatting to her in one of your, I think, stream chat things um and it was it was it was pretty cool did you have you ever played wow or, or, or an mmo barney no i'm no i'm i don't i haven't played either no not into that i, I i'm sort of intrigued by it but i've never never got into it yes mm. i mean it will take over your life barney so i would i'd recommend I it. just not doing <laughs> i mean i've been very good i don't think i've played for a couple of months because of obviously with work um, but I know that my, my exams coming up are in the first week of June. Unfortunately, the two week exam period, I get I have all of my exams done in the first four days. So I would not be at all surprised that in that second week I might um, I might kind of like an addict it's crawling to back over. to the needle. I'll be like, oh, just a little <laughs> bit. I'll be fine. Although actually, so a, a, a really a, a video that I'll link again in the show notes um, if people would like to watch this. Uh, Soviet Womble, who's most famous for doing his bullshittery series of, you know, hyper cut down, hyper edited uh, stream highlights. Um, he's done a couple of video essays recently on different ty- mm. types of games because I th- I want to say for their day job they might actually work as like QA testing for video games, but they know a lot about the industry anyway. Um, and have you either of you heard of or played a game called The Isle? No, no. Right, so it's an 
it, it it's how to describe. I mean, it's an online multiplayer game. It's not an MMO per se. Um, but basically, you know how there's a ton of games. This would include Rust. It would include Valheim, Minecraft, any number of games where you play as a person dropped in an environment. You have to acquire resources to survive, whether that's food or or water or whatever it may be and you can build a base up and you defend yourself and th and that's mm. kind of related to something like say um PUBG or Fortnite in that you're all put in the same environment mm. and it's player versus player mm. what the island does is this really interesting thing of refuting certain aspects of the game design in that you're not playing as a human you're playing as a dinosaur and when you have to accumulate resources to survive, if you're a herbivore, you just graze on whatever, you know, like mm. berries from bushes. But mm. if you play as a carnivore, you the only way that you can survive is to hunt and eat other herbivore players. Right. <laughs> and it introduces... And, and I'd highly recommend watching the video because it almost sounds a little bit dry when I put it like that. But the way that Soviet describes it, it's super engaging. And the reason that I bring it up is because there are role play servers for it. Oh, where... that, here we go. Mm. Now you've got me. You had, <laughs> you had me at role play. Yeah. You activated my trap card. <laughs> you sunk my battleship, Simon. <laughs> but it's um, it, it's like there are rules for like if you play as a triceratops, you cannot herd up in more than two juveniles, three adults. You know, if the herd size is exceeded, you must create a new herd. Oh wow. Um, wow. And if a, as a predator you you get a kill, you cannot leave. You cannot hunt another animal until that kill has been exhausted of like the the meat resource mm. um but it's also it, it lends itself to that because there's no in-game voice chat and the text chat if you want to say anything in text chat it's accompanied by your character your dinosaur making a noise so <laughs> if you're trying to coordinate like not being eaten as a herbivore it gives away your position uh. and it, it's just it, it lends itself to this kind of role play stuff in a way that's not an MMO, but it's not like any other multiplayer game I can think of, really. Because, you know, it takes like six hours or something to go from being a juvenile baby dinosaur to being fully grown. Um, and, you know, so you're invested in your character in the same way you would be in an MMO, but it's also doesn't have that depth. There's no inventory management. There's no attack management. It's just, you know, left click if you're a predator to attack. Mm. Um but it just sounds really interesting. I'm kind of, I just, I've had this on my brain for the past couple of days, and mentioning World of Warcraft has just caused it to spew out into this yeah. video game bath that we're experiencing. Is it available? Can you play it now? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think there might be recoding it or something. There was something to do with their retooling it, but I think it is available at the moment. Yeah, mm. that sounds, um, that sounds really good. It sounds quite dynamic and quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, like it's it's just that whole idea of there's two ecosystems going on. There's one as a herbivore, you're dependent on the the game world, and if you play as a carnivore, you you're dependent on killing and eating other players. Mm. And so there's in a way it is almost like an ecosystem simulator. It's it's unique. Never heard of it before. So no. yeah, people find that interesting. Go and watch Soviet's video. He explains it a lot better than than I do. Yeah, well. Mm. And thank you very much, Cass, for that for that email and uh, confirming Dan's World of Warcraft addiction. That's yeah, brilliant. Uh, any any opportunity? <laughs> You're a bit like the cat's eye crook. You're not ruling out completely, you know, <laughs> further addiction. <laughs> any opportunity to make to publicly announce uh, my my obsession with a video game? I really appreciate uh, it. Uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> wonderful thing. <laughs> All right.
So, Barney, what have we learned today, if anything? Well, I don't think we've learned much about the... I can't have... I got rid of the Wikipedia article. Was oh, it Baby no. Metal? Let, let oh, I've closed the tab. I've closed it. Was, it. I've, I've got it here. It's Live Legend IDZ Apocalypse. Thank that's you. the one. <laughs> should we do? Should we do that again, or yeah. should we just? No, go with no, that? that's staying in. That's that's more effort. We're just gonna plow. <laughs> We're just gonna plow on. <laughs> we didn't learn about it. So little was learned that we just closed the tab and moved on with our lives to talk about well, mostly choral music. <laughs> I also rambled for ages about uh, Below Deck Med, which is sickeningly embarrassing, but I urge you all to check it out because it's quite, I mean, it's just, it's awful, but it's brilliant. Um, we had two choral pieces of the week, my own, Ascendant Deus by Peter Phillips and Barney's uh, Path of Miracles by Joby Talbot. Um, we had some great uh, correspondence uh, and and just kind of nerded out a bit this episode, which which was no bad thing at all. Yeah. This is if you have found this. If you're a choral music geek, you found your people. I promise. This is enjoy this podcast bath, Uh, (laughs) a pod bath uh, that you find yourselves in. A pod bath. That's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can like us on Facebook, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Your preferred temperature of pod bath favourite piece of Barney's music and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us, Barney. I hope you had a good time. Oh, it's been great fun. Thank you for having me on. Well, um, and for people who uh, would like to learn more about your work and would want to listen to either your music or watch your videos, where can they find you? They just need to search for listening in on YouTube uh, for all my videos and they can check out my music on barnabymartin.com. God, he's a professional, isn't he, Darren? He's, he's too good for this podcast. Slick. Should I have stumbled across on that? Maybe I should have. So, yeah. Put in a mistake, Fergus. Make him sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, Fergus. Haven't met you, but thanks. You can't see this because it's not its not a video call, but I just put my finger to my ear like I was a secret agent. <laughs> <laughs> Fergus, get down! <laughs> Join us again for another Tumble Down the Wiki Rabbit Hole. And we'll see, and we'll see, see you next time. time. Good luck saving that one in the cut, Fergus. Amazing. (laughs) I really don't think that was together. (laughs) No, perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) 